following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a privilege to be here with you. My very first time at Harvest Barrie. I've been to many other Harvest Bible Chapels. My very first time in Harvest Barrie, so I feel uh, very privileged to be here. I know that this was the very first Harvest Bible Chapel planted in Canada. And so I don't know where we're at, but we just planted in April uh, of uh, 2013, and God's been with us. We've been so encouraged in Toronto to see God bring uh, specifically a strong, vibrant group of people who are so eager to see the gospel advance. Now, Toronto itself is over 50% ethnic a minority, And so when you look at the city of Toronto, what you really do see are the nations of the world represented. And so in a very real way, every time we go to church, I look out at my church, I look out at the church that, that God has assembled there, and, and what I see is the nations of the world. And so my heart resonates so much with uh, what you're doing here. Harvest Berry, specifically in these next two weeks, with a focus on global ministries. And, and here's, the, here's the thing that I want to share with you that's so profound as I was listening and participating in everything that was going on. Only God, only God can take what is happening here today. Only God can take our prayers that, that are being lifted up from this place today and use them to impact the far-reaching nations of the world. Have you ever thought of that? Now, what you're doing today, what we've done even this morning... God Himself can take what we've done this morning in prayer, what we will continue to do with our financial giving and our support. What God can do is is awesome. He can take what happens here and cause it to have a lasting impact all over the world. And that's what we're praying for. That's what you're praying for. Revival, not only in our country, but around the world. And we believe that God wants to do that, and He is doing it, we believe, in these days. So... Before we go into God's word, um, let's bow our heads in prayer one more time. We need him for this moment. Father, right now we bow before you because we must. We bow before you because we need you, Lord. I so resonate with that song we sang earlier. I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And Lord, in this moment now, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would empower this proclamation with your Holy Spirit that I would worship you in my preaching, that we would worship you together in our hearing. And Lord, as a result of this morning's service, you would truly be acting on our behalf, not only in Barrie and in our country, but all over the world. Lord, we pray these things with faith. Only you can do that. And so, Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would do it. Do it for your glory. Do it for your name and for your own renown. Not for our name, Lord, but for yours. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said together, Amen. 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 Go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. The title of this morning's message is this, Prayer and the Mission of God. Prayer and the Mission of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. It was Jim Cimbala who said this, If someone really believes in God, they instinctively begin to call upon the name of the Lord. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, we find a little obscure verse that not many people notice. At that time, it says, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Adam and Eve had fallen in the garden and sinned, and then the descendants of Cain began to move away from God. But the descendants of Seth began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to sense somehow that this God was not only the Creator God, 
but he was a God who would intervene in life, in the problems that you were facing, if you just called on him. And all throughout the Bible, what we find is prayer having a central role in the life of the people of God. In the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. By prayer, not just an added side thing that they did, but prayer was a central component to the life of the believer in Jesus Christ, to the life of those who belong to the family of God. Not only for the purpose of God intervening in the lives of people, in their own personal circumstances and and situations and hardships. and, And listen, no doubt in this room there are many represented. Many hardships and circumstances and difficulties represented that God uh, so wants to intervene in. But prayer was a central component in the life of the church of Jesus Christ, specifically in the New Testament, for the empowering of the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. It wasn't just that God was so interested in meeting our needs. And listen, loved ones, He is. He is. He loves us. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. He loves you. He cares about what you're going through. But He has a grand redemptive plan that He is unfolding. He has a grand redemptive purpose. And we are called by God as people of God to join with Him in seeing this redemptive plan unfold. The salvation of people all over the world, in your family, in your workplace, wherever you find yourself rubbing shoulders with unbelievers. We're encouraged to call on the name of the Lord for the empowering of our lives to accomplish the mission of God. Prayer is a gift. And listen, prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon given by God to us, the church. And don't think light thoughts about prayer. What we did a few moments ago, praying over those cards, is not a small thing. What we did a few moments ago as we prayed over those cards and the nations of the world are calling upon the sovereign, righteous ruler of the universe to extend His capable hand. And He responds and He hears the cries of His people. Prayer is a gift. It's a weapon. Not only, as I said, for us to access the power of God for our lives. And we can, loved ones, access the power of God for our lives. But to access the power of God to see Him do what only He can do across this globe. See God do what only He can do, to see Him do unparalleled things, to see Him do things that we've never seen Him do before. We can call on the name of the Lord for that purpose. All throughout the book of Acts, we find that at the center of what they were doing was a proclamation of the gospel. And in bold proclamations of truth, they found themselves regularly opposed And as a result of this regular opposition to the proclamation of the gospel, they found themselves regularly needy of a supernatural intervention of God, and therefore prayer became very central to the mission as well. Proclamation and prayer, they went hand in hand, and we're going to see it unfold here in the book of Acts, chapter 4, 23 to 24. Let's look at it together. Acts 4, 23 says, When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, listen, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. There's so much in this passage of Scripture. I just want to lay out three things. It's right there in your bulletin notes. But I want to suggest to you three keys for unleashing the power of God in our lives, in our church, across this globe. Three keys that I believe with all my heart will, as we see based on the authority of God's Word, unleash the power of God in our lives and in our churches and in our countries and all over the world. Number one, you see it right there in your notes. Uh, pray together. Pray together. And I wrote this down. There's comfort in corporate prayer. Praying together, I believe, is significant. What we just did here. And God, I believe, as a result of today, will be calling us to a higher commitment to this very thing. Praying together. If you notice verse 23 and 24, he says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Now you need to understand a bit of the context of this passage of Scripture. Peter and John here in this context are in big trouble. Peter and John are in big trouble. In chapter 3, they encounter a lame beggar on their way to worship at the temple. They pray for him in the name of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he is miraculously healed as a result of their prayer. And an uproar breaks out and, and many people are amazed and they look at what has happened. The Bible tells us many begin to believe in Jesus Christ, but there's opposition that begins to arise. A controversy begins to break out. While everyone's amazed, and, and the miraculous event gives Peter a platform to proclaim the gospel, the elders and the scribes, they're not very happy with what's going on. They thought they did away with this Jesus. They thought they put him away. They thought they were done with the trouble this Jesus was causing. And here are his very followers uh, performing miraculous things in his very name. In anger, the elders and the scribes arrest Peter and John. And they threaten Peter and John. And they say, listen, listen, I don't know how you did this, but you better stop preaching in the name of Jesus. That's what they're saying to them. They arrest them. They, they persecute them. They ravage them a little bit. Much like what's happening all over the world today in many countries. We don't realize it. But this is what happened in this context. They're shaking them up a little and saying, Listen, Peter. Listen, John. I don't care what you do, but don't talk about this Jesus ever again or something worse is going to happen to you. And they know what could happen to them. They just witnessed their Savior crucified. They just witnessed not long ago the Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ, crucified. They saw what these guys are capable of. And so these threats are not minimal. These threats are not small. These are life threatening things and so as a result of this they're released and let go 
And the first thing Peter and John do, the Bible tells us, is they go to their friends. They go to their friends and they share what has happened. And instinctively and immediately, they begin to lift their voices together in prayer. They lift their voices together in corporate prayer. It's important to note that in this context, the Bible tells us Peter and John went straight to their friends. Other translations say their companions. In the original Greek, that phrase, their companions or their friends, means their own. Their own. They went to an intimate fellowship of believers. They went to their own. They went to their family, their church family. This wasn't just a group of people they weren't that familiar with. These were people that they were ready to die with, that they were doing life with. Much like people in this church. If you belong to a small group, you know what it's like to do life with people in this church. You understand the the intimate fellowship that takes place. Well, we see that exemplified here in the early church. They had intimate fellowship. Such that upon their release, upon their release from receiving these threats, they go straight to the ones that they love. They go straight to the ones they know care about them. They go straight to the ones that they know share this mission with them. And they begin to call on the name of the Lord together. This passage of scripture reminds us of the intimate fellowship there is or there was in the early church. And it reminds us of the intimate fellowship that God desires for all of our churches to have. Intimate fellowship, the body of Christ together. When one is in trouble, we can go to our companions. We can go to our own. We can go to our friends. And we can find refuge together in the Lord by praying together. You see, there's a strong sense of relief in the midst of companionship. They're not alone. Peter and John aren't left to carry the mission of God alone. They're not left to suffer alone. They're supported. And the mission is shared by the entire church. And in the face of all of these threats, the Bible says they had a corporate prayer meeting. They called for a corporate prayer meeting. The Bible tells us when they heard it, their immediate instinct was to lift their voices together to God in prayer. But don't miss this. They, all under, they also understand not only that they need the Lord in prayer, they also understand that this is not a one-man or a two-man mission. We need each other. We need to be together. It's not enough that we pray on our own. Uh, the Bible exemplifies and models for us in the early church how very significant it is to gather together collectively and corporately and to pray together. And sometimes we don't feel the urgency of it in our context. See, over, over, over in Toronto, there's not many people coming into my church service pointing a gun to my head, threatening me. It's not happening here. And so we don't always feel the urgency of gathering together and surrounding ourselves with God's Word and beginning to call on the name of the Lord together. But listen, it's urgent. It's urgent. There is comfort within the companionship that's found in corporate prayer. And John Piper wrote this. The New Testament is full of corporate prayer meetings. In fact, most prayer in the New Testament is probably thought of in terms of gatherings for prayer. Acts chapter 1.14 says, All these with one accord were, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That is typical of what you find. Acts chapter 12 verse 12 says, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mar- Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Prayer meetings were normal 
and I think normative in the early church. And so I don't know what it's like here at Harvest Berry, but I know that in many, many churches across our country, the prayer meeting is like the least attended thing. The corporate prayer meeting. You call for a prayer meeting and then you'll get a few people come around. But it's often, sadly, the least attended thing. I don't think that's the case here. It's definitely not the case where we are. In fact, one of the deep desires of my heart in our church is that we would be a church of prayer. I know that's shared here in this church. I know it's shared across Harvest Bible Fellowship. Why? Because we must be a church of prayer who depend on the name of the Lord. And not just praying on our own, but learning what it means to find comfort in the context of corporate prayer. And so the question for us today is this. Are you committed to the corporate prayer meeting? Are you committed to gathering together with others uh, informally and formally to pray, to call on the name of the Lord? See, I believe, as Jim Simbola often says, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, the, the prayer meeting will be the barometer of the church. Uh, I believe that. We planted our church about 10 months ago, and the moment we got together, we were just 22 people as a core group, and I said to them, we must be a church of prayer. It's got to be the barometer for our church. And I would exhort you, loved ones, in that. I would exhort you to understand the urgency of the corporate prayer meeting. Not as a matter of ritual or duty, but as a matter of total and utter dependence upon the Lord. I pray that this church would begin to see, if it's not already seeing, this entire room filled for the corporate prayer meeting. Not just once or twice or for a season, but consistently. Why? Because we understand that we are nothing without Him. We understand that we cannot accomplish anything apart from Him. Because we understand that this mission will not go forward apart from Him empowering us when we are weak, giving us strength, when we are afraid, giving us courage, when we lack boldness, filling us with boldness that only God can give. And I've been in those situations many times where I've been tempted to cower away from a a, a moment, an opportunity to share the gospel. And it's in those moments where I say, Lord, give me strength. I feel afraid right now. I feel scared right now. Lord, I'm calling on you to give me the boldness I don't have. I can't muster it up on my own. Would you do it for me? And it's in those moments that we find God doing the best work in us and through us. And I believe, Harvest Berry, your best days are ahead of you. Your best days are ahead of you. We can continue to press forward together as a church of Jesus Christ, not just in Barrie, but all over our country, all over the world, to recognize the prayer meeting must be the barometer for our church. There's great comfort. There's great companionship in the context of corporate prayer. But not only as churches, but here's a a heart check for us. This is a heart check for me, loved ones. I'm preaching to myself. Husbands, when was the last time you called a prayer meeting in your house? Oh, wives, uh, mothers, when was the last time you prayed with your children? You said, listen, listen, kids, time for corporate prayer. It's time for, for prayer together, all of us, to pray together. When was the last time you called up a group of friends and instead of going to the coffee shop and hanging out or, or going somewhere else or going to a movie, you said, let's pray together. Let's pray together. We have needs. We have a desire to see God do what only He can do in our city and in our country. Uh, There are much more effective things we can be doing if we would just get together and pray. When was the last time we 
did that. And some of you may be saying, well, that's just getting a bit radical, Jason. Just getting a bit, just, just getting a bit radical here. I mean, people are going to look at me and say, well, well, aren't you being a bit extreme and a bit much? And I would say to you, exactly. Isn't that what describes the early church? Were they not radically devoted to Jesus Christ? Were they not radically committed to the purposes of God, to the point of death? Were they not doing radical things, extreme things, because they understood the urgency of the mission of God? I need more of that in my life, loved ones. And I would suggest we need more of that in our churches. And the more we can begin to recognize this urgent need for prayer, and specifically corporate prayer, the more I believe Faith will rise up in our hearts to see God do, again, what only He can do. That's what we want. Amen? That's what we want. We don't want to do stuff that we can accomplish. We don't want to do church. We don't want to do things that we can put together and manipulate and manufacture. We want God to do what only He can do. We want God to step in and do awesome things in the salvation of our family members and loved ones and and colleagues at work such that we step back and say, only God could have done that. I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have manipulated that. And all glory goes to God when that happens. And I pray that more of that will be happening in my life and in my family and in our church and in this church. And so are you committed, loved ones, to the corporate gathering of prayer informally or informally? It's absolutely fundamental. And I would commend that to you. I don't know when your next prayer meeting is or when your next opportunity will be to pray. But can I challenge you, loved ones? Can I challenge you? I pray that every single one in this room would be there. I'm praying that God would so move on your hearts that every single one would be there. I'm praying big prayers, prayers of big faith, saying every single one. And I'm going to dispel those thoughts of doubt and say, well, some, not everyone's going to make it. Well, I'm going to pray in faith, Lord, every single one. Would you pray with me that way? Would you be the answer to that prayer and being there to call on the name of the Lord? Because only then will we see God do what only He can do in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our churches, in our nation, and in the world that we've been praying for even this morning. And He can do it. He is able. One sure way to unleash the power of God in your life, church, and community is this. Pray together. There's comfort in corporate prayer. But secondly, in your notes, I I wrote this down. Pray, not only pray together, pray confidently. Pray confidently. And then I wrote this down here. There's hope in the sovereignty of God. There's hope in the sovereignty of God. Notice verse 24 again down to 30. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, listen, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Listen, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants 
to speak, to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Remember, Peter and John have just been released from being arrested. Many emotions could have been present here. If I'm them, I'm going to be afraid. If I'm then, I'm going to be feeling anxious. If I'm then, I'm going to be feeling worried. Maybe I'm going to be thinking, where can I go to hide? Maybe I'm going to be thinking, how can I downplay this message a little bit? Maybe I'm going to be thinking, is there a way I can become more culturally sensitive so that I present this message in a way that doesn't offend these scribes and elders? That's what I would be thinking. And maybe that's what you would be thinking. There'd be a lot of emotions present here. Fear, anxiety, doubt even. God, is this what you want us to do, really? But one thing we find present here is confidence. Confidence. It's confident prayer. Have you ever walked through something difficult and felt an overwhelming sense of fear or anxiety or discouragement? And, And you just longed for more faith to pray more confidently? Maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you're here and you're saying, yeah, I'm walking through something difficult and I, I want more faith to be able to pray confidently. But, but I'm, I'm going to be honest, I, I'm doubting. I, I'm doubting. I'm doubting if God can step in in this situation. I'm doubting if God's going to really do across the globe uh, what, I, what I'm praying for Him to do with the salvation of souls. See, we all get to those places. But I want to show you some things from this passage of Scripture that will enable us and encourage us and facilitate confident praying in our lives. Two things you need to know about praying confidently. Number one is this. Confident prayer is birthed, listen, out of a good theology of God. Confident prayer is birthed out of a good theology of God. Their immediate instinct was prayer. But listen, how they prayed was was determined by what they thought of God. And it's right there in the text. It's right there. They address Him as Sovereign Lord. The word Lord here is an uncommon title in the New Testament. It's used only five other times in the New Testament. The word denotes an absolute master. A master with total control and authority. And so they, in the face of their threats, in the face of their impossible circumstances, they come together to pray together. But listen, they're praying in the context of understanding who it is they are praying to. Therefore, they can pray confidently. They say, Sovereign Lord! Sovereign Lord, we know that things are in your hands. We know that all these events are in your hands. We know that things are unfolding and nothing is a surprise to you, God. And they understand God to be the sovereign, righteous ruler of the universe. And I would suggest to you far too often, we don't pray confidently because we have a very, very small view of God. We come to the Lord in prayer and often we're trembling and often we're worried and often we're anxious and often we're thinking, Lord, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do this, but Lord, I'm just going to give it a shot here because I'm supposed to pray, aren't I? God, I'm not sure if you're going to be... See, isn't that what goes on in our hearts often? Isn't that what what dominates our thinking often as we approach God in prayer? See, I want to suggest to you, confident prayer can only be birthed out of a good theology of God. Do you understand who God is? Do you know that He is totally sovereign and in control? Do you know that He is the absolute master of all things? 
Do you understand that the events of this universe are going in one direction and nothing can stop or thwart His plans or purposes? Do you know that His plans and purposes are for His glory but also for your good? That's important to note. Maybe you're walking through a hardship today and you're saying, this cannot be for my good. But do you understand God is sovereign? Do you understand that He accomplishes His sovereign purposes in your life for your good? See, we begin to get our minds around who God is and we're going to spend a lifetime and an eternity trying to get our minds around who God is. But we begin to have a right theology of God. Listen, you will begin to pray confidently because the power is not in my ability to pray. The power is in the one to whom I am praying. The power is not in me. Listen, if the power was in me, nothing would get done. But the power is in God. And I can come to Him with my weak, feeble prayers, with just a mustard seed of faith and say, Lord, Lord, please, I know You're sovereign. I know that You're able. Would You step in? Would You intervene in my church, in my challenge, for the sake of Your purpose and Your mission? You understand Him to be sovereign. And you will begin to pray confidently I remember meeting with somebody many years ago my parents immigrated uh, immigrated to Canada from Egypt and Egypt is a Muslim country and I met someone who also found himself in Canada from Egypt and he was a Muslim and he converted from Islam to Christianity while in Egypt and, and that's a no-no in Egypt when you convert from Islam to Christianity that's a death sentence for you. You convert from Islam to Christianity and you will find yourself with your head cut off. And I met with this young man and he began to share some of his experiences with me. He began to share with me how uh, when he converted to Christianity, he was so on fire. He was sharing the message with as many people as he could. And finally, all his evangelism and witnessing caught up with him and he was arrested. And he was not just put in prison. He wasn't put in a prison cell where there is uh, access to television and, and you can work out and exercise and you can maybe have access to a few books and you can read uh, some of what like our prisons look like. He was put in one of the most severe torture chambers in all of Egypt. And see, the media doesn't report this. Uh, the media knows nothing of this. But Egypt has some of the worst torture chambers. And they trapped him there. And I'm not even going to tell you what they did to him. I'm just going to tell you it was horrific. Day after day, persecution, beatings, on and on and on. Recant this Christian faith. Recant this Christian faith. And he said, I cannot. And they would do something else. Give up this Christian faith. I can't give it up. And they would do something else. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I can't even tell you what they did to him. Some of us won't be able to stomach it. One day they came to him and said, Listen, you must recant this Christian faith. It's not going to be good for you. You're getting to the end of your road. He said, I can't. A beaten, battered, bloody guy sitting in a little, small cell. And they said, okay, watch. And they went and they got some of the most vicious killer dogs. They trained to just devour flesh. 
They said, we're going to put these dogs on you. And in his cell, he began to pray. He tells me this. Sovereign Lord, you're in control. You have me here. I believe in you. I trust you. I believe you're able to rescue me. But I believe also it may not be your plan. You're sovereign. Help me. Help me. And he's praying. And around the corner he begins to hear the heavy panting and the heavy footsteps and the heavy growling of these killer dogs towards his chamber that he was in. And he's beginning to breathe heavily. He's beginning to panic. And all he can do is believe with all his heart that God is a sovereign God. All he can do is call out to the Lord, God, you are sovereign. You can take care of me. You can help me. Please, Lord, step in. The key unlocks the door. The door is open. Four or five of these dogs are released on him. He backs himself into a corner. They close the cell. They walk away. They come back expecting to find him battered and shattered. And what they found was him sitting in a corner with these dogs laying beside him, licking his wounds. Licking his wounds. It's a modern day Daniel in the lion's den. And he could pray confidently in the most severe moments of his life because he understood who it was that he was praying to. And God is using him all over the world to help the persecuted church. Listen, God didn't have to release him that way. God is sovereign. But in everything that God does, God is doing it for our good and for his glory. And you and I, loved ones, will pray confidently when we understand who it is we are praying to. And so that person at work that you think that person will never get saved, do you know that God is able? That situation in your family, that financial disaster that's looming, that hardship that you're facing, are you praying confidently with the knowledge that God is able? Finally, we're going to end here. We need to be people who learn what it means to pray expectantly. And I wrote this down. There's power when filled with the Spirit. There's power when filled with the Spirit. Notice verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. That's the result of corporate prayer. That's the result of confident prayer. God shows up and God grants power. The Bible tells us the place they were gathered was physically shaken. Can you imagine being in that prayer meeting? Can you imagine being in that prayer meeting? The, the power of God so manifested the place they were was shaken. They had a strong sense that this sovereign Lord is listening to us. This sovereign God will not only listen and hear, He will act on our behalf. We can expect, loved ones, when we pray, God will show up. This was a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality, and it evidences the result of prayer, namely that God's power is released in such a way that fills, that equips, that empowers His people to accomplish His purposes. Therefore, we can pray expectantly and with faith. 
Notice verse 31 again. The Bible tells us they were all filled with the Spirit. The answer to their prayers doesn't come as rescue from opposition and suffering. But it comes as power to endure and prevail in the midst of opposition. It's the filling of the Spirit. This is at least the second time in the book of Acts that records that they were filled with the Spirit. Acts 2 verse 4 was the first time. The second time was here in Acts 4.31. The Bible tells us they were continually filled with the Spirit and empowered. And that's what we need. That's what we need. We don't need more programs in the church and in Canada and the world. We don't need better singing. We don't need more eloquent preaching. We need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be people who understand what it means. That, that I'm, not, I'm not standing here, loved ones, depending on my ability to be articulate. I'm not. God must be here to do something that I can't do. And that's the heart we need to have. Every day when we wake up in the mornings and roll out of bed and fall on our faces, we need to say, Lord, empower me. Fill me with your Spirit. As we pour over the pages of God's Word, we need to be filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. That's our great need, loved ones. And I would be bold enough to say that's your great need. More of God in your life and mine. More of His power. More of His Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. It reminds me earlier, Jesus, before He ascends to heaven, He tells His disciples, you're about to receive the Holy Spirit. This is a paraphrase. And He says, but stay in the city. Listen, he says, stay here until you've been clothed with power from on high. Why did Jesus tell them that? Why did Jesus say, don't go anywhere? He looked at his disciples, he said, don't go anywhere. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Why did he say that? He said that because their mission would be hopeless apart from being clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit that would be given to them. The Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And I would say to you, loved ones, call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord expectantly for God to respond, to fill you afresh with the Spirit of God, to empower you, to empower you through His precious Word. And to enable you to accomplish the mission that he sent Jesus Christ to inaugurate and us to be the extension of. The biblical reality is that in all of the hardships of the church in the book of Acts, in the early church, in in the face of all the threats and the difficulties, the priority of all of their praying was the purposes and plans of God. And they understood, we need you, Lord, to do it in us and through us. And I wonder today if God is calling us to be a more expectant people. I wonder today if God would be calling us through His Word to become a more expectant people, to be a people who say, I'm not just going to pray out of ritual or duty. I'm going to pray because I believe that in this moment, I am calling on the hand that shapes the world. And as I call on Him, one little insignificant Jason in Toronto can call on the Lord in such a way that moves His hand to accomplish His purposes. One church in Barrie, one group of people sold out to be a people of prayer for the purposes of God. 
I would just challenge you, wait and see what God would do. And he will do awesome things. The question that remains is, do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, we, we bow before you today. And we understand, Lord, that in this very moment, you are listening. And you hear us. Lord, I pray that in this very moment, you would begin to stir or continue to stir our hearts with greater faith. Lord, I pray that you would show up in power as a result of the prayers of your people. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for Pastor Todd and the elders here. I pray for the families represented in this place. I ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do in these days. As this church has committed themselves to pray for the nations, Lord, would you do awesome things around the world as a result of these prayers? Lord, I pray that you would mobilize for yourself an army that is Harvest Berry to be people of prayer like they've never been before. I pray, Lord, that 2014 would be a year of prayer like never before and that you would see your people through this season with great fruitfulness in the way that you choose to show it. Lord, give us strength to depend on you. Give us courage to trust you. Give us boldness to be sent out for you. And I pray these things, Lord, in your precious and holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.